eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of another presentation of Longhorn Blitz. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Hit that follow button. Get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. Whenever they drop it, of course, the Blitz drops on Tuesday and don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest Longhorn team, news, notes, and nuggets, all the best Longhorn coverage on the recruiting trail, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market. It's all there for you at Horns 24-7. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh, the Mavericks tied the series with the Sun, so I'm peachy right now. I'm <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, when uh, we're talking about that, that's uh, be pretty interesting. And the uh, third member of our team, he doesn't have a rooting interest in the NBA playoffs because the Rockets are, well, terrible right now. Uh, but the Astros are doing well. He is an Astros Those fan. Astros! Uh, but for the purposes of this show, uh, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas of the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. You nailed it, brother. I appreciate the intro as always. Anytime, Ron. That's what I'm here for. I'm not here for much. I'm not that useful, but in that sense, I can make myself useful. Um, you know, we've actually got some decent stuff to talk about this week. Uh, Sark has started the speaking tour. It is, you know, May is one of those interesting months. It is, uh, it is banquet season. It is graduation season, and apparently, it is speaking tour season, all in the month of May. It's true that. Um. And Sark, I was at the first leg for this, the Texas Fight Tour. Remember when Charlie did the, I think it was the Coming On Strong Tour? Ah, uh, nice. Play on words. Mm-hmm. Nice pun there. That was where uh, he was in Fort Worth and told a big crowd, the first big crowd he ever really addressed. He's like, yeah, we're not going to be in the national championship game this year, and everybody just lost their minds. <laughs> and Char- Charlie was right. Good analysis. <laughs> not what the, your crowd wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, you got to read the room, Charlie. Which uh, Charlie Strong had a hard time doing. Nothing like that. <laughs> I, I, will say, <laughs> I will say this, man. Sark, Sark in in this setting, and take this for whatever it's worth, when he's in like the public appearance setting, just seems much more comfortable than Charlie or Tom Herman was. Now, again, take that for what it's worth. Yeah. But it's like Charlie, you could tell he like he just he didn't wear it well. Rod, you could tell on his face, he's like. Yep. I could think of a million places I would rather be 
than here doing this. Yeah. And it just seemed like Tom Herman was always fighting for the words that he thought everybody wanted to hear. Tom Herman was playing a role. Yeah. 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 And even back to the end of the Mac era, the you know the rebuild era of Mac was a different you know version. That was a different Mac. It wasn't the Mac. That was that wasn't a confident you know Mac. That was an insecure. Yeah, when he was in the room, you know. Yeah, that was like more defensive. What's the political analogy you always use with Mac? Went from JFK to Tricky Dick in his kind of metamorphosis as a coach, which is true. You became paranoid and. Yeah, really uh, distrustful of everybody around him. Isolated himself, and, mo- and, I, and honestly, in the end, yeah, became kind of this kind of, this kind of figurehead, mm-hmm. isolated figurehead by himself, surrounded by a few donors that were willing to, you know, go to the mat for him and protect him. But honestly, his his coaches really weren't. They didn't know Mac very well at mm-hmm. that point. You know, you know what's funny about one eighty from the Mac from before. Yeah, because it wasn't a family. He, even though that was the that Image. was a permer- that was a perception it he wanted everybody to believe. By the but end. it was not it, at that time. It wasn't. No, even some of the stuff that I was heard that was getting out that he was saying behind closed doors about assistant coaches was yeah. Mac. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know what's funny is I was. Uh, cleaning out some audio files on my phone because I was looking at storage on my phone. I'm like, oh man, I'm using a lot of a lot of these gigs that shouldn't be used in audio files because kind of inside baseball. Whenever I record interviews and stuff, I just save it on the uh, mm-hmm. vo- uh, was the voice notes app on my phone because that's the best way to do it yeah. instead of having to carry around an extra recorder. My phone's right there. Um, and I was listening to an off the record. I, I back, Max last year, nice. he would have off the record meetings with reporters, and Ooh. we could we were free to record them. That's awesome. I'm never going to publish any of this. Yeah. Um, but the one that I've saved on my phone is the off the record we had with him the Monday morning after the BYU game in Provo. Oh, nice. <laughs> and basically, if I ever think, if I ever try to romanticize the last few years of the Mac Brown era, and I love Mac, but if I ever try to romanticize that time, I just have that audio recording to go to and be like. Oh, that's what that's what was going on in the program at the time. Never romanticized it. It was so toxic that those coaches turned out to be decent coaches. Mm -hmm. It was just a really bad, bad atmosphere overall. You uh, you you caught you caught some of that, right? For the end of it, yeah. But I mean, it was that was just that was periphery stuff. That was that wasn't. Toward the root of the problem at all, that was just Mac trying to find uh, another target that would <laughs> that would suffice for the fans yeah. uh, aside from him, because he yeah. had been the big target. He was like, "Oh no, maybe the media's a problem. Yeah. The, the negativity would, you know, like, okay, defense Mac. is horrible." Yeah, Fix it's it. like, come on, Mac. I mean, <laughs> well, here we are. That was in 2013. Here we are in 2022, and. Uh, Fourth man giving it a try, see if he can mm-hmm. figure this thing out. And, and what we saw on the field this year was very similar to that BYU defense. You know, Sark is in the process. You would That's think true. by this point, Sark has at least, in in his estimation, diagnosed the problem. Now you're treating the symptoms. It's kind of what the offseason is for. Uh, but, again, very comfortable in this setting. I think it's a it, – what I like about Sark in this is there's a, there's a good blend of – realism and optimism mm. you know it's it's almost like couching the, the statements in a good way there, there's there's enough pep in his voice that makes you feel like okay this guy's trying to get you fired up but it's like yeah i think we can be good if this happens uh we can take this step but we need we really need this part to come along yeah uh, we feel good about this but this can be hindered if this doesn't happen yep. so i i just i appreciate sark's approach from a public speaking standpoint but let's just get some housekeeping items out of the way from this first leg of the tour stop. Uh, in terms of the injuries, Troy O'Meary and Jaden Alexis both kind of on track to hopefully be back by the time at some point early in camp. Okay. That's the hope for both those guys. I think Sark said he's hopeful to get those guys at least running, doing some running and summer workouts when those start at the end of the month. Andre Carrick is fine while coming off the high ankle sprain. No lingering issues there, which anytime – Anytime you talk about big guys and ankle injuries, I, I worry. Yeah. But I guess, thank goodness, it happened in spring ball and not week two, three of the regular season, and then you're dealing with something that's mm-hmm. probably not going to get rectified uh, maybe until bowl season. Luke Brockermeyer, probably where you'd expect 
five months removed from an ACL. I think it's going to be a while before we're talking about Luke Brockermeyer being in the mix, which is why linebacker continues to be a pressing need for the staff in the portal, just to add quality depth Makes sense. at that position. Uh, I think that's it on the uh, on the injury front. As far as the suspended players, he did say, and I want to make sure I find because I tweeted the quote out. Oh, the Jalen Gilbo. Yeah. Okay. On Jalen Gilbo and Ishmael Ibrahim. I can't even navigate my own Twitter oh, feed. I How got sad you. is this? I would imagine so. When you asked him, Sarkon, if suspended cornerback Jalen Gilbo and Ishmael Ibrahim yep. will be back with the Longhorns anytime soon, his quote from Jeff Howe. Is I would imagine so. I don't have a specific date yet. Yeah, and I was told by a source that uh, Ishmael Ibrahim, I think the plan is for him to be back at some point this summer. Okay. I would think the same for Jalen Gilbo. So just add, add corner depth. And, Rod, you know this. We talked about this last week with our NFL draft discussion. When you've got corners, if they've got you know size, speed, good size, speed ratios, some physicality to them, those guys go a long way towards filling out your, mm-hmm. your kick coverage and return units. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the details are of the Jalen Gilbo thing. That's a weird thi- uh, thing of Ishmael Ibrahim, man. It's been a long time. I feel like, I feel like that issue with him started a long time ago. Started at pretty much at the end of the fall semester. Yeah. yeah okay. But you, we haven't seen him in a while because, remember, he had the knee injury. He had the knee injury, too. Early okay. in the season, yeah. and we didn't see him after that. Yeah, no, they, I mean, they. it's great to have more cornerback depth they need it. Uh, I wouldn't expect either one of those guys contributing, as you mentioned, any other way other than special teams, though, considering how, you know, Ishmael Ibrahim hasn't been around the team for a while, and then Jalen Gilbo, I don't know how long he has, you know, been away from the team. Yeah. Oh, and then the other injury I forgot because I was hoping it wouldn't be a big deal. I was told it wasn't a big deal, and Sark confirmed that it's not a big deal. Uh, Isaiah Nayor did suffer a thumb injury in spring ball, mm. but he's expected to be good to go by the time summer workouts go. I, I saw a picture of him. Anytime you see, you know, a guy that you're expecting to be an impact player that we saw in the spring, heard about, heard about in the spring, and then saw in the spring game, can, is capable of being an impact player. We've gone through you know, his production in Wyoming, the PFF numbers. Uh, Matt has made a Gabriel Davis comp to Isaiah Nayor. It's kind of looking at what he can bring to the table in terms of the vertical game. Uh, you always get concerned when you see a picture of a guy in a sling. You're like, oh, is everything cool? But, no, he did suffer a thumb injury, but he's expected to be and good to go. A sling with a thumb injury. Yeah. It was I've wrapped. Actually, I think it's just. Uh, just to keep it immobile, yeah. immobilized. Yeah, I've yeah. seen basketball mm-hmm. players, they, they'll have the pain all the way. It looks like down to the elbow with hand stuff like that. So, yeah, That's just weird. to be safe. Mm-hmm. It's gone from our days, Rod, where they just put an ace bandage on it and just tell you to go mm-hmm. get after it. Hey, man. Tape yeah. it up. Whatever it takes, brother. Our day, like 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 back when back when we were primitive playing football, like it was leather <laughs> helmet days. But twenty years, the game changes a lot in twenty years, man. Wrap it up, man. We we were at the very end of the generation. I say this all the time. We're at the tail end of the time of football, where like you had to earn your water breaks. Mm-hmm. Punishment. I actually having two a days. They don't have two a days anymore either. Water was a reward at yeah. times. Now two a days is not. I don't even know why we say two a days. So they don't actually I've, have. Two I've, days. Yeah. I feel like I've. Finally broken myself of that habit. Yeah, they don't do it. It's taking a while. Camp. Yeah. It's taking a while, but yeah. I feel like I've broken myself out of that habit. I'm kind of proud of myself for doing that, <laughs> uh, even though some people do give me grief for saying fall fall practice or fall camp because it's hard to talk about fall camp when it's, you, it's triple camp. digits and yeah. it's August. So also, it's not, it's not exactly camp fall. goals. Yeah, that's true. But uh, the I seasons just, in Texas are different. I just though. say preseason practice. It's kind yeah. of what I'm going with. Yeah. It's preseason <laughs> practice. That's not bad. It's I lame. like that. So there's just some housekeeping items, but uh, I want to get y'all's thoughts on some of these quotes. Um, this one just fascinated me, man. And apparently Sark said this on LHN, but I didn't watch the LHN pregame for the spring game, nor did I record it, nor do I really care to go back and find it, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, but Sark was talking about, because uh, Lowell Galindo, Lowell was the MC for this, and oh, was yeah. talking about, you know, he noticed just a different juice on the practice field. Things do seem different, but he asked Sark what – to you feels different about things now compared to a year ago. And Sark was talking about, and I know some people can take this out of context, but if you really dig into the quote, you get the meat of it, in my opinion. I don't know where you guys stand on it. We'll find out here in a minute. But Sark was talking about when he took the job, they didn't move into the Moncrief complex. It wasn't fully renovated, ready for moving until August. So they were conducting business in the north end zone. And he talked about that drawback became – 
much more of one because, as he said, he failed to do some things. So here's the quote from Sark on that. He said, we had eight months, and if you really, really want to critique a program, you have to look at that program from A to Z. Where I failed, quite frankly, in our program is I failed at connecting with our team and our team connecting with one another in that time last year. Why and how did that happen? We were in the north end zone. I was on the seventh floor up in a cubicle. Our players were down in the visiting locker room. We would meet as a team on the eighth floor of the concourse in the north end zone where that big bar is. You know where the Tito sign is, the Deep Eddie sign is? That was right behind me with a pop-up screen, and our players were in card table chairs. Then the position coaches met with their players in the suites on the eighth floor. We didn't have a natural place to really connect with our players, and I failed in that spot because I didn't generate enough opportunity for our team to grow as one. That's what culture is, right? That's what we're talking about, and that has to grow organically. So he's saying, wonky setup aside, he didn't do enough to further facilitate or make up for the lack of what having a true home facility, the natural culture, I guess you build Rod being in one building. He he did he felt like he didn't do enough to facilitate growth that otherwise wasn't there due to the facility issues. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that he took that you know that man in the mirror moment. You know, we the concern in the off season was you know, of course he was going to look at the overall program, look at the strengths, the weaknesses, where they failed last year, the deficiencies, and then come up with creative solutions, right, whatever they may be. And part of that was upgrading the coaching staff. Part of that was bringing in Gary Patterson. Uh, The question that I had last year was whether he was going to have the true, honest, authentic man in the mirror moment for himself. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, there were talent deficiencies on the roster. Yes, you inherited a, you know, a bad culture and all those things. None of those things are your fault, Sark, but they are your responsibility. And last year, there were opportunities for this team to grow. And you actually stunted the growth. You did. Mm -hmm. You. Yeah, this coach. is him admitting like, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he did last year, he admitted it a little bit. But, I, you know, I'm glad that he had that, you know, you, you need to figure out what was your responsibility in the Fuster Cluck. You as a head coach can't, can't just go, oh, man, Tom Herman really screwed up this program. Man, we went five and seven. It was mostly because of other stuff that everybody else did. I couldn't do anything about that. But then you're a bad coach. <laughs> Sorry. You did that. You did right? a bad you job. Do, there's yeah. nothing you could do. And then now you recognize, oh, there was nothing I could do. No, there were things you could have done. Uh, and I'm glad. So he's recognizing that that's growth from him as a coach. And that's him having the honest man in the mirror moment. That's what we need from Texas, uh, from a Texas head coach right now. You don't need someone that is going to be so arrogant and so full of hubris that they don't understand their own role in the calamity. Um, and I think Sark understands his role in it. And I'm glad that he, you know, pointed out that, yeah. As a coach, what I'll say coaches are, coaches are problem solvers. What was the problem? Well, your co- your players were separated all over the damn place. You had a brand-new coaching staff you assembled. Everybody was separated all the time. So no organic cohesion and camaraderie and brotherhood. You didn't have natural chemistry, so you need to force it somehow, and you couldn't. Make sense to why you lost the team at one point during the year, and we all recognize it. And, hell, you recognize when they ask you about it. Oh, mm-hmm. ask the players. And you said that in a way like, hell, I really don't know. Ask the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think he did lose the locker room, and I think he recognized it because they didn't build a true foundation of camaraderie and brotherhood, and that's not all his fault. By the way, CDC, that's some on you, by the way. Because at the beginning of that statement down there uh, talking to the folks in San Antonio, he says, he says, he jokingly says, yeah, CDC didn't let me know everything that I was in store for. He told me about the new facilities and everything, but he didn't really tell me about, yeah, yeah by the way, your entire staff and your and your entire roster will be separated most of, all throughout the day until they go out to practice when usually our guys are together all throughout the day with the weight room and, you know, meetings and you see all the guys all the time. Now they they have constructed the you know the south end zone where they are where that's going to be happening naturally so you don't have to force feed it but as a coach you got to recognize that and you recognized it way too late mm-hmm. and it came back to haunt you yeah and I like to hear though just uh, self awareness because that's something that we talked about and I mean we talked about on the field not the inability with the previous staff to really self scout you know and this is showing even in the logistics of the program and off the field it looks as if. They're really doing an honest self-evaluation and then talking to people, talking, say, to the media and being a little more transparent about that stuff. But the actual 
you know, time that he was not able to form those relationships because you first, just when you're showing up, it's going to be hard as a new coach anywhere to be able to form anything that's actually based on that foundation you were speaking of, Rod, and it happening organically is how you can only start to do it. You can't force those things. And then if you are admittedly in what is the, you know, ivory tower type situation, you're up on some seventh floor detached from the players, just like whenever whoever walks in the door mm-hmm. that day and has a few quick questions or maybe just wants to ask Sark something about life or yep. just wants whatever to do whatever it is. Want to talk to my head coach. And it's just like any work <laughs> environment. You know, we've had very sterile work environments at places where it feels like it's detached and you have other things that feel more of a family. And it's not as if that necessarily directly translate to quantifiable stuff on the field, but there's something to that culture and being able to form those relationships. So then when you're in a very, you know, high leverage situation, you can trust the people around you or you know that coach is one that's going to put you in those best positions or you've at least been able to talk about these things before. And if you don't, if you have that disconnect, it's just going to be even harder that first year. So that's good to hear. Yeah, I don't want to make light of this because uh, I think it's a big deal because, Rod, what you said a minute ago kind of captures something that I, I want to just frame it differently, I think, for people that might not. I say, oh, and I, and I know. Look, I'm, I've caught myself saying, look, take take what coaches sometimes saying publicly with a grain of salt. But sometimes you really need to dig into stuff if there's something there. But basically, what you're saying, Rod, in essence, is look, if you just kind of throw your hands up and allow something to happen and don't do anything about it and don't self-assess it, yeah, you're a bad coach. That's a bad decision. Like, like we've we've done that at Texas with coordinators, right? Like that was my my biggest complaint when Sean Watson was the offensive coordinator here going back to that time where he was just saying, ah, this is the hand we're dealt. This is what, this is what we got. Like, no, I, I hmm. me as, as, as somebody observing your product, I, I don't accept that, that you just throw your hands up and say, ah, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you just go with it. No, you, you try to figure out something, you cobble something together. You yeah. figure out something that can work. Use your expertise. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, that's what, I mean, we talk about, you know, last year with the defense, I mean, it, it took PK way too long to realize, no, you, you need to figure out something else because just with the personnel you have, just just playing, you know, static defenses, with just these Wasn't gonna work manila just fronts and coverages, uh, yeah, you're down, you're, you're down to death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do something. You have to adjust. And I'll get yeah. to the defense here in a minute. But that, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but that at, at the core of what you're saying, that's, it goes back to what you say all the time. Coaches, I mean, you're, you're problem solvers. You identify a problem and say, okay, this isn't working. How do I fix it? Yeah. Which in- I, instead of approaching it with hubris, saying, ah, no, nah, it'll, I got this. It'll work itself which out. Which I think Sark did. At the, you know, just, it, I think it took him a long time, too. I do think at one point he, you know, didn't trust the players enough. And I'm not going to say he gave up on them, but I think they, he lost the locker room for a little while there. But I think they got it back you know, for that K-State game. Now, there, that was a game that Texas could have easily lost. If you had lost the locker room, you're going to lose that game. Mm-hmm. Right? The way things were going, hey, you just lost to Kansas, uh, you know, a couple of weeks early. Like, hey, anything bad could happen. And you didn't really have access to healthy quarterbacks, right? You had to go with the Rojo Wildcat, Bijan Hurt. There were a lot of reasons to lose that game. Hell, and I think, honestly, if Skylar Thompson was healthy, they probably do lose that game. Mm-hmm. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, but is we're talking about whether Sark started to learn lessons and apply you know, creative solutions to try to fix the problems that he had encountered. And he did, right? That's why I love that they were like, you know what, we're going to wildcat. We're going to wildcat the hell out of it, all right? Because wildcat gives us the best chance to win. It's our the best offensive weapon we got and the thing that's most consistent. And they did. They they did. And that was exactly what they took to win a game. Without the wildcat package, they don't win that K-State game. So I love that Sark did that defensively. You know, it was just a struggle. They just, you know, as Sark knows, he needs to start spending more time in that defensive media yeah. room, which I think he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he took for granted that, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to be an offensive head coach. I'm going to call plays. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're a head coach. You're a head coach. I understand what you want to do. I get it. We all – I would like to talk football on my four-hour show <laughs> constantly and never give a damn about baseball mm-hmm. and never talk about the NBA Sports or Texas. knows nothing about. I'll, I would like to go rabbit holing for four hours, and it would be a really interesting show for people who liked football. <laughs> but sooner or later, people would go, you know what, Rod, man, all you talk about is football. That's it. It's funny. Right? Craig and I had this exact conversation on the air today. Yeah. 
You got, but that's not your. Yeah, your job is you gotta, you know, you gotta spread the love a little bit, right? And we got Snoop. We got the high school aspect of it too. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I'm glad, and I think, you know, I think defensively for Texas, like it was just a struggle. Sark knows he's gonna spend more time in that defensive meeting room, and I think that's what's gonna help because now they're coming up with solutions together, and, and Sark's just gotta be able to reverse engineer those game plans for PK. And then be able to anticipate adjustments of opponents. And by the way, this is Sark, what Sark's got to work on too. Sark's a big thing. Sark got Sark, Sark lost a battle of adjustments. Yes, time after half. time last year to really good coaches. Lost it to John Heacock. He lost it to Gundy and Company. All right, when Jim Knowles was there, he lost it. Lost it to to Dave Aranda, to Lincoln Riley and Company. He would win the battle of preparation and game planning, but lose the battle of adjustments. That is on you, Sark. That is on you. You need to going to a a, 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 a matchup game plan every week and assume that the opponent will actually have a chance to neutralize your game plan. And then you need to come up with options A, B, and C, all right, reverse engineering your own game plans, anticipating the opposing adjustments, and then when they go route B, go, oh, I was already anticipating that. Here's what we got to do. All right. Or, oh, no, they went with C. Oh, this is what we'll do with C. I'd already anticipated that adjustment. You got caught with your pants down time at the time. And I was tired of that freaking look on the sideline, that Sark look, where your eyes are huge. And it, it basically this is the SOL, I got no answers look. And it's all because you thought your initial preparation and game plan would be enough. It'll be enough. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It was genius. I'm a genius. I'm done. And it's like, okay, yes, you're a genius. But it, it, that's, a, that's a genius game plan for a half. Then you have to make adjustments in-game, on the fly. That's football. So even though your players would often give up in the second half, so did your game plans. Your game plans would become exhausted by the second half. And they and, and all you, these these cheat codes and force multipliers that you would you would you would combine in this gumbo, there were less of them. You were less aggressive in the second half. So you actually shrunk a little bit in the second half. These are all things, Sark, that you can improve on. And I think that he, he I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that was an honest man in the mirror evaluation, and he did. Yeah. And those are the situations we talked about it all throughout the season where it's so much different being a head coach than an OC because in the previous, you know, stops when he's in Alabama, maybe he can make those adjustments because you yeah. get that view and you don't have all these other duties that come with being a head coach on the sideline. And when you're sitting there having to do those, you don't have the ability necessarily to adjust as quickly or notice as many things or it was the growing pains to where now he does have maybe an eye in the sky. You got some new eyes in the sky when you talk about bringing in Marion, and maybe you're able to delegate Patterson. those duties, things. Exactly. Patterson's the big one that you thought about that at least maybe they can articulate or you can go into the game and have them looking for the type of things you're looking. You're in constant communication. Or even if, say, Sark has to be like, no, I need to go deep dive here. You know, get Gabe Patterson on the, you know, headset and he's helping making sure special teams is in line or whatever those say head coaching duties because you're a coaching staff. The delegation of duties can go around to different people. And it's just last year, obviously, that was too overwhelming mm -hmm. to him because it was. it was a really good script almost every game. Oh, it seemed it like to come out. So, like, you could yeah. tell, like, the process was there, but then there was a short circuit in the game and it really would make sense if you were to point to something it's like oh well yeah your duties changed you got to do a lot more now than you used to have to do with your offense just yeah. keep in mind though when you talk about the gary patterson aspect in terms of communication during a game he can't necessarily talk. you can only have x number of coaches that have the ability to communicate he could have a headset on yeah but no no but he can't him and sorry can sit down and hang out on the Friday before the game when all the install and everything is done. He can go, GP, tr troubleshoot it, man. GP, mm -hmm. take apart my damn game plan. This is it. Take it apart. Yep. Take it apart right now. Like, just yeah. go through it and annihilate it, eviscerate it with your defensive acumen, and then let's anticipate adjustments for my opponents. And you, as the defensive coordinator, will tell me, all right, man, this is what I'm going to do. If you, if you attack me with this over and over again, i got to tell you, I'm making this adjustment, I'm making this adjustment, and you guys sit down and have the, you know, have the, you know, the intellectual chess match and then and come up with a plan of anticipating those adjustments so that you can now win the battle of adjustments in addition to the battle of game planning and preparation. Because the truth is, winning the battle of adjustments means more, as we learned and as he learned as well, means more than winning the battle of preparation and game planning. You can lose preparation and game planning, which Lincoln Riley lost, yeah. which Mike Gundy lost, which Dave Aranda lost, but damn good coaches go, all right. 
<laughs> my game plan was trash. Freestyle? All right, this is what we got to do. And really good coaches can do that because they're just solving problems on the fly. Sark yeah. did not solve problems really well on the fly. Yep. I think th- th- this to me, though, it- it's on Sark, and I'm going to kind of weave all this together. I think this goes back to the football IQ discussion that we had throughout the year last year. And Sark even said post-spring game, uh, in that post-game media availability, mm-hmm. when he was asked, you know, kind of where is this team growing the most, he said football IQ. Well, he big. said we felt football IQ was one of the things that developed and improved the most from where they were at the end of the regular season and where they were at the end of spring practice. And I like what you said, Rod, the scenario you, you laid out, because the best high school coaches I've been around, uh, the best college coaches I've heard about, the best pro coaches, one thing I like that they do, and I think for a player this helps you, and I, and basically coaches need to do it too. I think if you're practicing what you preach, you need to do it too. I always like the coaches that for high school, if you're playing a high school game on a Friday night, they'll tell you one of the last things they'll tell you Thursday night before you leave that field house, they say tonight and tomorrow, go through everything in your head that could go wrong tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, if we practiced all week, blocking, you know, and even a straight up even front, 40 personnel, what do you do if they come out and bear? If they come out in the bear front, how does that change everything? Mm-hmm. You know, quarterbacks, we worked all week. You're All you're going to see is basically cover one, cover zero. What do you do if they come out and they're running nothing but cover three? Like, you go through everything that can go wrong, go through it in your head, and what are you going to do to counter – what's your counterpunch at that point? You ask players to do that. I think coaches – basically what you're saying, Rock, coaches have to go through and do the same thing. Like, yeah. okay, everything that can go wrong – if a, if A, B, and C are accounted for, what's my counterpunch? That's what those charts are for. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It seems like common sense, honestly. It seems yeah. like something that you should What I'm talking about to. is very rudimentary. Uh, no, but, but those are talking, the but, skills. Yeah, I understand if we're reminding players about that, but I'm talking about for coaches. Like, it would seem that, like I said, yeah. it seems like that should be common sense. You know, the the, the arrogance and the, the, the hubris of coaches you should assume, and this is something that I learned from coaches, so I know coaches are doing it. Mm-hmm. You assume that your game plan is trash the night before. Yeah. All right? Just for what due do you diligence. Do? Just for the thought experiment. Yes. What do we do, guys? Sit down with all your coaches. Guys, game plan is trash. We're expecting this. We're game plan is trash. They came out. They dominated us. We're down double digits already because nothing that we did all, all week worked. What, do we do? what are we going to do? Give, give me another weakness to exploit. Give me some, Give me an adjustment to make. Give, give us a counter. Mm-hmm. What? Throw it out there. We're spitballing. Throw it mm-hmm. out there. And if you don't have, to me, that meeting before you actually have a game, that's just you being cocky and arrogant and saying, you know, and that's what I think, which I think Sark did. Like I said, I think he's now had that humbling man in the mirror moment where, oh, it's going to work. Well, yeah, 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 it'll work. Yeah, yeah. But for how many quarters? Because the person over there is not an idiot. Mm-hmm. that you're coaching against. So sooner or later, all these little things that you're doing that exploiting, they're going to go, okay, okay, okay. All right, how many things are they? How many, how, many, how many leaks do we have in this damn ship? Yeah, coach, we got four things that right mm-hmm. now we just can't stop. All right, all right. Let's, what's, the, what's the most pressing matter? Uh, well, coach, right now they keep getting us with the outside zone. All right, all right. Let's stop the outside zone. How we do that? Well, we got to penetrate on the edge. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's penetrate on the edge. Okay, we solved that problem. What's the next problem? Uh, coach can hit us with deep ball. Okay, deep ball, mm-hmm. deep ball. All right, um, you know what? We're in cover one. Let's back them up. Let's go uh, two deep safeties in. Let's go cover four or we're going two, you know, we're going to man two deep. But, you know what I mean? They're just solving problems on the fly. Yeah. And then they're cutting off your life sources as you go. Mm-hmm. And when they get to the point where you they, they've solved all the problems, they start coming back on you. And what you need then by after they've made their adjustments, you need a counter. You should already be anticipating like, oh, oh, you're going to blitz the edges? Oh, Mm -hmm. okay, to shirt up? Oh, man. At least you wide open for the screen. Watch this, guys. Here we go. We're coming right behind it. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? This is the game of coaching. It's a chess match. So the the, the frustration is if we don't see that step from Steve Sarkeesian this year, that would be troubling because that is obvious and that is something that, you know, he knows that he has to deal with it. The football IQ of the players goes without saying. Uh, we started off talking about Sark, right? Uh, you know, so I think for, for Sark, he's bringing in his own players. But for him individually, there were two or three wins potentially on the schedule last year that, honestly, I, I would – a lot of it I put on the head coach. Sorry. Yeah, that's fair. Like, no, I'm sorry. Fair. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm the guy that looks at coaching and I watch film. Like, so I'm, I'm looking at what you can do. You can talk about the players and the deficiencies. I get it. I get it. 
I understand that. Is, uh, is, is Oklahoma one of your players? But I get it. Your players suck. Is Oklahoma? <laughs> is, is Oklahoma the big one for you, Rod? Huh? From that standpoint, is Oklahoma? Uh, well, it is Oklahoma. There's uh, you know, Oklahoma State's in that category too. Baylor's in that category. I mean, you got there are games like that. They were up, in my opinion, that Texas could have won. They had a shot at winning. I mean, yeah, and I mean, before those are probably that, the most obvious examples. Yeah, and even games that turned into blowouts. But like the I mean, you saw tipping points, in, like in the Iowa State game, if a few things start out well, you could keep it close. But then the way it just once you let it open, the floodgates just come down on them, and it was just a problem. And when you, yeah, I wanted to add a layer to what you're talking about when you're talking about not the X's and O's and not having the second answer. But there's also something specifically to Sark's offense and being such a you know play action slash run PO type guy with football it's the same thing that you hear coaches in basketball because every coach in basketball wants to run well that's predicated on you stop them you didn't let them score so your defense has to be good in order to you even have the chance to run if you're taking out of the basket it's a totally different game you have no fast break opportunities in football the same type of situation is well if you build this whole game plan the entire time off of your play action your you know rpos and stuff but what if you fall behind and now, even though we know play action still works early in the game, if you got to come from behind, you have no time to be running the ball. you got to be throwing, and it throws the game script off. So when you're in a game script and you're in a situation that you got to throw out more than two-thirds of your plays almost because you can't run the ball if you're down by three scores and trying to come from behind, it really can incapacitate, it, say, an offense that builds stuff off, especially say you have – Bijan and now Bijan's the type of guy you could be like, yeah, screw it. I don't care if we're down. We're running Bijan. Bijan's a freak and you can go. But coaches, I really don't think their game plan is built on them taking the lead and then being successful. You don't necessarily game plan your game plan about coming from behind and having those type of scripts. And when you're a team that's so heavy in those type of actions, it takes off the ability of your offense to top in plays of your offense don't exist anymore. The, then you're playing in passing down situations. They pin their ears back, and you're just treading water and just getting beat up even more. Totally agree, but that's why I've talked about, you know, I describe it as a feel for the game. You want your play callers to have a feel yes. for the game, right? The difference between a coordinator and a play caller usually is feel for the game. That helps you make your in-game adjustments. And especially if you're a head coach that's also the play caller, your feel for the game is even more important. Because mm-hmm. you need to know my defense sucks. Yeah, my defense is not gonna help me. Yeah, too many times Sark's like, ah, complimentary football. Gotta gotta help out the defense. No, yeah. no, 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 assume that his defense would come save him. Their defense is not going to come save you. And even this year, you may not even have the special team suit. So this year, he should he, he, he oftentimes want to be a moderate with his feel for the game. When you feel that your defense is slipping, mm-hmm. when they start giving up seven yards a pop on the edge, you need to know, okay, we're not going to hold this lead. There's no way some... we're holding this lead. And I'm, even though we are, <laughs> we are up by double digits and most teams will throw the ball, my defense is so weak on the edges, they're going to run the ball against us. So the, the, the advantage of being up in the game by double mm-hmm. digits, actually, it, you know what I mean, it, it, it's moot. Yes. It doesn't even matter because they're still running the ball successfully against you and averaging close to six yards, seven yards a pop. Hell, teams are averaging six yards a play and they're successful. So you get the point of it, it's like, so yeah, forget what you were talking about about complimentary football. Your feel yeah. for the game was so bad yeah, and that you still wanted to play complimentary football after watching your defense be like wet toilet paper on the edge when you should have been going, nope, I got to score. I got to be an extremist. I got to score. I got to score. I got to score. And if they beat me by scoring 50 when I score 45, then that's the way it's got to be. But if you're trying to win games by playing complimentary football with that defense, honestly, by midseason, you deserve to lose. Yep, and when you you're go— You're playing bad—just you know, a bad ideology all around. Yeah. And to put the numbers behind what I was talking about and what you're talking about there and not and not being able to stop those floodgates whenever they open, remember Texas's third in out percentage was basically higher than anybody in the country because Texas would get in these situations that we're talking about where it's sort of the game script's obvious, you got to be throwing, but then like some of the things that make you have the ability to have these explosives in the pass game aren't there, you can't play complimentary ball, and then now you're three and out, and they're getting the ball back that quick, and your 28-point yeah. lead is evaporated in a second. And that happened in like three or four games 
when Texas had leads and then had back-to-back three-and-out situations, and it's all sort of this feedback loop that comes from these scenarios that's that we're point. talking about. Like that that's also goes back to something that we talked about, and I'll bring it up again, mark it on your bingo card. Knowing your personnel, like the Oklahoma game is the one that stands out because that was the game when we talk about three and outs and, and feel for the game. That was the one where Sark decided with the big lead after you just, I mean, just ran ran Oklahoma from one end of the field to the other in the first half. To the windows of the wall. Decided in the second half, all right, let's take the air out of the ball and line up a 12 personnel and run it. Well, at that point, Alex Grinch has already decided, look, it doesn't matter. We're not going to stop him. So we might as well just try to crowd the line of scrimmage, throw as many bodies at the line of scrimmage as possible, and if they want to run the ball, then hopefully at that point we get them in third and long, and then we'll take our chances. Yep. Force negative plays. Yeah. That's all they kept thinking. And you played right into their game plan mm-hmm. just because you felt like your strategy was, oh, no, we'll, we'll take the air out of the ball, we'll try to run it and impose our will. No. Keep keep your foot on the gas pedal <laughs> at that point. Just mash the gas and go. Yeah. No, I agree. I, yeah, that is a no, that's probably the most glaring example of it. It is. Did, there, was, there was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and I think it was in an attempt to, like I said, play complimentary football and, and help out the defense and all those things when, and as you pointed out, goes back to him not knowing the roster really well. That won't be a problem this year. Knows the roster really well. Yeah. Hell, let's flip, I don't know, 40% of the roster. Yeah. And that those are all guys he brought in to lift the football IQ overall, which I, I think has has to improve. Cause, yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I need to get back. I need to really start digging. This is about the time of the year I'll do it, is really start digging into last year's game films and really breaking this stuff down. And I'll do that throughout the summer. And I say that because I, I, I feel like I don't know where Sark is on this. Roddy, you, you, I don't know how far you are into your game watching from last year. But I always feel like, especially offensive coaches, in times of crisis, you just revert back to who you are at your core, right? Like we talked about Tim Beck was one, right? In times of crisis, Texas, when Tim Beck was calling to play, is what did Texas just start doing? Just start throwing the hell out of the ball. Throw it 50, 60 times, doesn't matter. Just banning the run game, you're just going to start <laughs> throwing the ball. Because right, in right. times of crisis, you revert back to who you are at your core. At Sark's core, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, oh, Sark's core now, because uh, I think his core has evolved since like he originally became head coach. Right now, he's an RPO-based run game with a kind of play-action accent. It's a play-action built on Explosivity. a West— Explosivity. Yeah, it's a play-action accent built off a West Coast passing game. So I feel like that after— he's, He wants to run tons of RPOs. Like, he has stated— and when he was at Bama, they ran RPOs 20-plus percent of the time. Mm-hmm. They're among the national leaders. Now, hell, Lane Kiffin is probably the, one of the national leaders. I think they were like 34% or something like that freaky. But he wants to be much higher. He didn't trust the quarterbacks last year in a new system without them being familiar. Just based on what I've watched. I hadn't heard Sark say this. But based on what I'm watching, he just did not trust those quarterbacks. He didn't trust their feel because RPO is a lot of what? Feel. Mm-hmm. Right, it mm-hmm. is. It's there. Do you? That's why he likes quick-handed IQ. quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Is IQ being able to just simply read the defense? Uh, do you outnumber the guys, the defenders in the box? Do you have the numbers here? Do you don't have the numbers here? How you react? Boom, boom, put the ball on target. And so they ran some RPOs last year, but I don't think they ran nearly as much as Sark wanted to. I think they're going to run a ton more RPOs yeah. this year with Quinn Ewers, and that is going to complement the initial running game with Bijan. And then on top of that, he wants to go big game hunting over the top with his play action. Yeah, I feel like that's like with the, the the play calls we saw late in the Oklahoma game like the big touchdown to Xavier Worthy like once once Oklahoma got back in the game and it's like okay now we need to really open it up and start getting vertical more and and, and kind of lose throw the ball to set up pass it to set up the run I feel like that's kind of who Sark is like let me basically take my shots down the field and then in my RPO game that'll naturally open up the run game. He basically, if you're going to give him the run game, he said, I will uh, tell my, my quarterbacks to take the run game every time. He he wants to run the ball. That's why he runs so much 12 personnel. He actually does want to run the ball. That's why he only puts like one tag on his RPOs. Yeah. Instead of multiple tags on it, meaning multiple route combinations with his RPOs, it's just one tag with it. And it's usually that glance, either from that slot are from that outside receiver on the near side yeah. or whatever. So he, he he wants to run the ball. He's like, if you're going to give it to me, I'm just going to run it all damn day. When you stack the box, when you decide, all right, extra hat in the box, 
that's when he's like, I'm a feast. And that's when he would prefer those long, I call those long rainbow crosses. You can see them in your mind right now. Just mm-hmm. thinking, looking at a Sark yeah. offense. Those long rainbow crosses. Ajia Hall said, he said, long ass routes. He said, I love Sark's <laughs> offense because of long ass routes. Yeah. Long, Quinn Ewers had one Isaiah Nayor, right? Those mm-hmm. big long, they take a long time to develop and they're beautiful, but they take a while to develop. So I wonder this year if Sark needs to early on emphasize quick game and short game. Um, and then kind of branch off into some of those long developing routes a little bit later on. I think you try those things early on, you could really discombobulate the offense. Offensive line loses confidence. Passing game loses confidence because it's hard to connect on those. It takes a long time to develop. Yeah. You're going to be doing that against Bama. You know, yeah, you know, Will true. Anderson going to let you just stroll on out there. As you, you have <laughs> as to have you, good self-awareness. You know, you're like you self-scouting the, the line. And you, you got to know have your all own time line. to look downfield. No, you will not. All right? And it ain't going to be that relaxed when Quinn Ewers is going to have all that time. So, I, I think, you know, I love the, that aspect of Sark's offense, but I think quick game, because of the offensive line, needs to be the priority next season. Yeah, I, I think that, to me, as we're talking through this, I think that, to me, is the key for Sark. Like what what can you find passing game-wise, basically, that no matter what, if teams are going to take away the deep ball, whatever, that no matter what coverage you see, no matter what blitz package they run, what is a pass, something in the pass game that we can always go to? RPO. That's the beauty of the RPO. Mm-hmm. That's why he wants more RPO. RPO doesn't matter. Pass protection doesn't matter. Yeah, but the frustration literally doesn't even matter in RPO because it is it literally is a run or a pass option. And if we're getting it out quick on time with the one tag, then the pass protection that is a move. I know that, so right? it, Part yeah. of the quick game is more RPOs. Well, and right. because well, it, no on. matter what you do in that situation, you feel as if you've given your player an advantage. That's right. Yeah. He, calls them, he calls them advantage throws, opportunity yes. throws, opportunities for an easy completion. I, I, yeah, I totally – I'm on the same page with you guys on that. My frustration is the the Oklahoma game, the Oklahoma State game, the Baylor game to an extent. You got away from that. Well, because he, like I said, didn't trust the quarterback. He doesn't trust those quarterbacks. He did not trust those quarterbacks last year. That was pretty obvious in the play. Yeah, calling. I just, I, like I said, it's really hard to go identify and count RPOs. If I could, I would, and I don't trust. I, I don't trust really anybody's number on them. Then, I, oh. if, if College Football Reference doesn't that kind of stuff, yeah, and PFF does it, but I'm telling you, it's really, really tough to mm-hmm. identify RPOs unless oh, you're yeah, talking sure. to a coach about the actual percentage of it. But I will say that I think you're looking at Bama's offense. When that is the ideal offense for Steve Sarkeesian, when Tua was running the show and when Mac Jones running the show, compared to the offense with Texas and just what principles and aligned, right, and what different um, concepts that he continued to cross over, he just he just he loves RPO. He just did not call nearly enough with Texas because he didn't trust those quarterbacks to be accurate enough so they could throw it anywhere, mm-hmm. and he did not he, he did not really trust the timing of them at the mesh point and being able to manipulate the mesh point. Right, really, really well. I think and that's why he wanted to say card at the beginning, but then he saw and it was like, no, this isn't going to work, and you're stuck with wherever yeah. you're. So I think he'll run. More. Quinn Ewers is almost perfect. I mean, it's perfect for him. We saw him. I, I, yeah, I, because it, oh, he just his natural arm talent. He does have the quick hands. The skills, the skill set lines up way more with what Sark wants. He slangs it from any angle. All of yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in a perfect, if in a perfect world, if you're Sark, you're picking between you know Mac Jones and Bryce Young. That's like, yeah. Do I want, you know. Exactly. You know, First world problems. Do I want do I want <laughs> lobster or filet mignon? Hmm, let me pick. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But uh, so, I don't know, maybe I'm just way overthinking this, Rod. But to no, me, to me, you look at it as not enough trust in the quarterbacks. I look at it as, did he just put way too much trust in his offensive line and his run game? Okay, okay. Too. Now that that could be it too. Now that's a different way of putting it, but I'm not disagreeing with that. That he put the way line too. Line affects the quarterback. Yeah, and that he thought. Trying oh, to th- my, I'm just trying to yeah. think all no, this no, out. No, no, I, I don't. Because it's frustrating when, like, you totally see when you see it, and you. I think we all we've just talked about it. We all see what the Sark offense looks like, and when everything is clicking, and when he's got when he's got a good feel for it. Damn, it looks good. It's, it's, it's damn near indefensible when he gets when it's all clicking. But, but then when you go away from that, I feel almost you. Feel almost like he went away from it last year, not by force but by choice. Mm, interesting. Um, but, well, the if the offensive line is the choice you're talking about, like sorry, my the, voice the, cracked there, but the, yeah. <laughs> but but the offensive line forced him. I mean, to basically that he had to abandon yeah. some concepts and things of that nature. Th- that could be true. You were limited, but except that offensive line been it was limited from the jump. But we talked about it, Rod. That staff did not do a good job early in the year. Yeah. It's one of two things, right? And like now I'm going back to the Arkansas game. 
it's one of two things. Either you poorly misevaluated your personnel or you basically went to Fayetteville and kind of tried to prove a point. Like, look, we told you guys, you guys come up here and mess around. You know what's going to happen. I I hope. I hope it wasn't the latter. I, I, I've been going with that they just totally misevaluated that. They were looking at their D-line versus that O-line, and they were thinking to themselves, the D-line's good, which yeah. I'll admit. I think we all thought the D-line was going to be yeah. good. I thought yeah. the D-line was going to be good, too. I'm, yeah, I'm guilty. Hey, I was, yeah, my head is raised. Like, hey, I thought yeah. the D-line was going to be I thought PK was going to be, be a home run hire. So I plead like, guilty, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah, so, trust me. I, I have not pat myself on the back. But I think they thought, oh, D-line's going to be good, a lot of veterans, a lot of talent. Hell, D-line is still supposed to be a strength this year, too. We keep saying it. it's like Groundhog Day. And their O-line stood up decently well to the, versus the D-line mm-hmm. in their offseason evaluations. And I think they just made a horrendous mistake and went, hey, O-line might be better than we thought, too. Oh, and the D-line's a strength. You know what? We might you know what? We might be pushing some people around in the Big 12. Wrong. Not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have both of your lines of scrimmage are bad. Your O-line was bad. Your D-line are both yeah. bad. So you thought, oh, you, they thought glass half full. Oh. Man, actually, D line, O line might both be really good because it seems like you know, in off season they're canceling each other out. Sometimes the O line dominates, sometimes the D line dominates, and then they realize, no, no, no. Actually, the evaluation should have been flipped. It was glass half empty. They were both two of the worst lines of scrimmage in the in all of college football, and that's I think who thought that? Like nobody thought that. I didn't think that either. No. I didn't think they were that bad. No. Turns out they were that bad. Well, and also I think it's worth pointing out because you brought up, you know, just the conference and what the reputation for the conference as to what this conference has been the last couple of years is a lot different. People still think, oh, yeah, similar to the Pac-12. They wing it, oh, throw did. it around everywhere. Oh, and it's like the last few years, is, this has been a league that pounds you. There's a lot of heavy run game and good defenses that are coming across. And Texas yeah. played like a traditional Big 12 team from a decade ago this past season. They would have fit in perfectly fine with what the reputation as to what the Big 12 is. And, I mean, that could be some just really lazy and bad self-scouting or awareness of the culture that you're stepping into, but at least it was year one. So if you did have those thoughts, which will make you question those thoughts in the first place in your process, but that's a quick fix if you can actually be like, oh, wait, it's a reset. This isn't what we thought it was. Going forward from here, we need to play in this modern 2022 version of the Big 12. Yep. No, I'm with you on that. I think old school Big 12, they probably win two more games. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Just because well, the Big Twelve was different, they outscore as, some people. It'll be like that Tech game. It's like Jeff talks about the hybrid spread schemes. The mm-hmm. hybrid spread schemes really threw PK off. Like he just could not fit because it's a week to week different matchup thing. Yeah. He wanted a a culture based on the Big Twelve. I remember how perception. well he did against Leach? Yeah, in, exactly. In the, in the Old Pac-12. school Big Twelve. He'd have been great. Well, at, for what we had six. He's different, like, oh yeah, we I've been stopping Leach for years. Yeah. I can't do anything on exactly. Me. It's, it's like, like well, no, this isn't. This that. is not that. No, this is exactly. So I think that that threw him off. He just. It is a it's a running league, cross dressing yeah. as a passing league. I mean, people uh, look at Lane Kiffin and think that it's like, man, they ran the ball almost more than anybody in the country last year. Yeah. I, uh, we'll we'll save this for another day, but uh, I'm not going to completely dismiss the the two scenarios I laid out going to the Arkansas game. I'm not going to completely dismiss that the latter was at play where the staff went in there because Sark had a quote and I was trying to find it and I I couldn't find it, but. You know, I think it was the Thursday before that Arkansas game. He was very frank. It's like, look, going into this league, when you play really good teams in this league, if you don't go in there with the right frame of mind, and I'm quoting Sark here, it's like, you'll get your ass knocked off. Mm-hmm. And I think it was almost like part of me feels like, especially like, remember at the end of that game where they had Keelan Robinson in on the goal? Like, the game's over, but they just kept trying to pound Keelan Robinson on the goal line. Like, that to me was like, all right, prove a point. Like, if you guys want to play big boy football, this is what it's about. Yeah. Yo, can you punch it in at point blank range? Yep, I'm with you on that. I used to love. I, I I don't like Tom Herman's philosophy, but I used to love Tom Herman's what his basic definition of football. Football is just trying to move another human being against their will. Mm-hmm. And there's something simplistically brilliant about it, and he's right about that. Whether it's the scheme trying to move somebody here or there, or whether it's out of tech with technique, leverage, and whatever you're trying to use, your brute strength. You're trying to move another human being against that will and put them and impose your will on them. Uh, Texas is unable to do that. And Sark knows that. That's why Sark, even at that that San Antonio-Texas tour, 
uh, speaking event, he said, you know, we got great skill guys, you know, basically some of the best in the country. None of it's going to work because we don't play seven on seven if yeah. we don't figure out the old line. He knows that they, you, they're just trying to right now try to put together this you know, video game assemblage of skill talent. But that's the beauty of football. You can have all that skill talent if you want to. If I got the big uglies up front, mm-hmm. I win. Yeah. <laughs> and real quick, on that point, Rod, on that point, kind of what we're, what we're talking about, when you talk about the Tom Herman quote, I think Sark needs to go by the Ray Horton quote that he gave you when you played with the Lions, which is. Oh, yeah, football. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, the Ray Horton quote. Okay, make sure I get it right. Uh, basically, Ray Horton one day said it. Basically, football is like life. Um, oh, man, I'm just going to screw this up. My CT is kicking in. Um, he's like, hey, football is like life. Um, it's about wants and needs. How did I screw this it's up? It's a constant struggle. Uh, oh, no, no. Okay, life is a constant struggle uh, between what, what you, you want? want in life and what you need to survive. Um, and basically most coaches screw that up too. Yeah. Yeah, and we always kind of screw it up. Yeah, we bit. do. Yeah. But if Texas wants to be much better than five and seven, Sark needs to think about that and – let that sink in. Um, and I think that's really apropos for the defense, and I do want to talk about that as we finish out this week's show. Um, and, again, this is where I kind of like Sark. It's that you just pointed out, Rod, like talking about the skill talent, but none of that we don't play 7-on-7. Seven seven, none of that means anything if we don't get some things figured out up front. He was talking about the defense. And, again, it's, you know, hey, I'm going to give you a little, give you a little positivity, a little optimism, but then, hey, kind of the reality of where you are. He was talking about – just this overhaul needed on defense, the philosophical shift, if you will. Uh, he said, quote, I'm an aggressive guy in play calling, attacking style, the types of players we recruit. And he's talking about the defense. We were just too passive. Talking about the defense last season. Uh, he also said he, he then talked about you know, the moves they made in the secondary. Anthony Cook, the boundary safety. Keaton Crawford, the safety. Jade Barron, and nickel. Quote, why did we do all that so we can play more man-to-man coverage? I need more people on this field that can defend all these receivers in the Big 12. So we want to be more aggressive. We want to play more man-to-man. We want to have more of an attacking style up front defensively. That'd be nice. Um, He also went on to say that basically they want to be able to add another hat in the box constantly. That's why they want guys that can play man-to-man. Someone tells me Gary Gary Patterson's influence. Gary Patterson always wanted to have an extra hat in the box. And that's just good football. And when you – uh, it's the point of the four two five, right? Yeah, exactly. When you're worried about the edges, that's why you know you can always just devote extra bodies to the edge. And I think the hope is that that'll fix some of their problems with an additional development of the guys on the edge too. Because especially if that extra body is there, like we were talking about last year, we couldn't understand why. Well, when you saw the defense sucked and we're getting beat both ways, why aren't you just taking risks to try to steal back possessions? And if you're adding an extra body by the ball, at least it can maybe give you that chance at getting more impact plays with hurries and pressures and stuff around the line of scrimmage that can maybe result in plays that you weren't necessarily going to earn, but because of your pressure, you're able to get. But again, we talk about the personnel moves. I think it's it's pretty simple to look at it and say, you know, right, depending on how you want this star position to function, are you a better defense with David Benda on the field? And it's no disrespect to David Benda, but yeah. are you a better defense with David Benda on the field or with Jade Barron on the field? Jade Barron on the field. Like last year, were you a better defense with Luke Brockermeyer and Ovia Gofu on the field or with Anthony Cook on the field? Yeah. That because last year when you made that decision, you made the decision to put the two linebackers on the field. And took Anthony Cook off the field, which was crazy. That's a tough one. Yeah. Who, according to PFF, was one of your better tacklers. We knew he was one of your better coverage guys in the secondary. Yeah. That was ridiculous. And you limited his snaps. <laughs> yeah. And that that's where, bad. like, that was a dang coaching mistake. You think about it, were there trust issues, say, there, or what was keeping him? Because it, it was well, obvious. He was playing constantly. He was well, playing at the nickel constantly. So it was a trust issue. I think, no, Matt, what I think it was, I think by that point in the season, I think PK got into that rut we've seen Texas defensive coordinators get into. Uh, in coordinators, period. That when nothing is working and you just your whole plan has just gone to hell in a handbasket, you're just grab bagging at that point. <laughs> but by taking one of your better players off, oh, you're just yeah. grab bagging because yeah. you don't have it. You don't have any. Yeah. You don't have any answers. You're just no, no, grab bagging sure, trying to find something the that can work. Yeah. But this goes back, but the way it played out goes yeah. back to Rod. The process. The process you talked about. Okay, wh- where are we most efficient? What do we have to do? Like, okay, if we, I've got to try something. <laughs> 
to set a better edge on defense. Yeah. And he thought more that was more linebackers. He's more run, more run defenders. He just yeah. thought, I'm just going to put more run defenders out there. These guys are comfortable stopping the run. They'll do a better job, which is kind of flawed because, yeah, Grady out, Anthony Cook is one of your better run defenders. Yeah. <laughs> and you need him on the field. Clearly, and, clearly, yeah, you've evaluated your personnel. Like and say, okay, defender. we've got to, we're going to move into boundary safety because we got to have him on the field. Yeah, you're conforming to those. Uh, yeah, you just thought, yeah, exactly. Old defense, it's, it's like, yeah, might need to adjust that. Yeah, so I, I, I they're, they're going to be better because I like their philosophy. Is they are just going to infuse coverage guys all across the board. Yes. So you'll have tighter coverage. Hopefully, you'll make more plays on the ball. Tighter coverage. They're hoping tighter coverage will lead to more pressure. Um, that's always the question, right? Does pressure uh, lead to cover? Does pressure lead to basically, you know, you having is it from better coverage, right? Coverage sacks, or is it the the, the you know the the pressure itself uh, that can help you in coverage? Like you don't need to prioritize coverage because you'll get there before your coverage can be exploited. And Texas, I think, is banking on no, no. We're just gonna have superior coverage, or we'll have better coverage overall. That'll lead to quarterbacks holding the ball more, and then the pressure will get there. Uh, and that's the hope. To this uh, conversation, it would be like if you're going to err on a side and you're trying to troubleshoot and figure it out, err on the side of coverage and speed. If you got mm-hmm. coverage and speed, you might be able to make up for things whenever things aren't necessarily playing out the way you thought they would. Yeah. I'm just trying to go through because when I think about adding Gary Patterson, there's a couple of things that he he does defensively that I really like. If you've got guys on the back end that can cover, Gary Patterson was really big on split coverages and confusing quarterbacks that way and messing up passing games that way. There's also, I thought he did this better than quarterback for the first time that he had gotten some film on, and now you're, you've are you had a couple of games, now you're getting ready to see a Gary Patterson defense. He's going to throw some stuff at you that you're not ready for. So I'm always mess with young quarterbacks. I thought he was very, one of the best in the game in doing that. Yeah, And I'm trying to go through my head riding the quarterbacks in the, in the league and – Iowa State's got quarterback turnover. Mm-hmm. K State's got Adrian Martinez coming in. I mean, you've got Adrian Martinez coming in. K State, K State is a grad transfer. JT Daniels coming in as a grad transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tech returns. Tyler Shuck. Uh, Baylor's going with Blake Shippen. They're going with the young kid. Spencer Sanders, we talked about, is the the veteran quarterback in the league now. Yeah. Uh, he's always, he always looks like a freshman. You know, I guess Max Duggan <laughs> at TCU. Was another guy. Max Duggan is what the second oldest. I cannot believe Max Duggan is still there. Second yeah. longest tenured quarterback wow. in the Big Twelve. That's a long. Time. So, uh, according to Stats War on Twitter, the only team this is just one added layer, but teams returning head coach, offensive coordinator, D coordinator, and starting quarterback. Only one in the Big Twelve is Kansas. Wow, good stat. I like that. Yeah, you got Bama on that list, which is damn good. Arkansas, a lot of teams like BYU, Boise. I'll retweet it just. So I like that. See it. That's a good stat. Well done. So I'm just trying to figure out the the ultimate impact Gary Patterson can have on this team. Yeah, it'll be on defense. Yeah, I mean I think it can it can help the coaching staff and all that too in different areas. We know that special assistant to the head coach, uh, culture, all those things. But I think ultimately they just he, he, they need his football acumen and IQ on the yeah. defensive side. And I, I guess my my help question my question Rob boils down to. Do we see Pete Kwiatkowski call a defense where we look at it? We know what a Gary Patterson defense looks like, where we look at it and say, "Oh man, that that that's that." Ba- basically, Pete Kwiatkowski is the defensive coordinator, but this looks like a Gary Patterson defense. Or do we see some of those PK staples that you can go back and you know break down tape and see kind of what he's done over the years, and then just see some of that stuff infused into it? Um, I think it's, it'll be PK system. I, I, cause I don't think PK and Gary Patterson's system, you know, I, I think there are some similarities and, you know, familiar concepts. So I, I think that you're right, it's probably more of a fusion, but yeah. I, I think that PK's system, it'll be his, the structure of his system. Like the, the basic overall blueprint will be his system, no question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to do it. Uh, we can get more into into this stuff next week. we got plenty of SART quotes to break down, but I wanted to get that out uh, into the forefront. And by the way, before we go, real quick, um, SART did say they've got a couple of spots left to work with in the portal. Hmm. We mentioned linebacker. Again, we talked about that. That's a need. But we don't really know where the Jordan Addison thing is as we sit here right now. There's not a ton of movement there. He did say he, he did say he'd like so to add it. He did say he'd like to add another receiver. That'd be wild. I don't know what the price tag on Jordan Addison would be. Might if be we get him, that'd what be awesome. 
What do they tell you? What do they tell you, Rod, when you order the special at the restaurant and it doesn't have the price next to it? And if you have to ask, probably can't afford it. Probably can't. That's true. But if you're I know, Texas, I, know I can't can. afford it. <laughs> like, yes, we can't. But I Texas thought Quinn Ewers had the highest price tag. So now, you, I mean, I've, I saw that, I've heard that Jordan Edison price tag is pretty high. I don't know. Bijan got a Lambo, so high, who knows? That's pretty high. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So keep an eye on that. Uh, linebacker and wide receiver remain the staff. And turn, at least how Sark views it, that's, the, uh, that's where the portal needs reside as we go into the summer. Like it. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104911 on AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app at or you can hear Rod B and Mike Harge each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless book. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows or on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and Longhorn Blitz whenever they drop, and you know the Blitz drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!